Hello, and welcome to What's Killing My Kale. This podcast is a production of the University of Minnesota Extension, hosted by Extension educators Annie Claude and Natalie Hoytel. In each episode, we interview a farmer, researcher, or educator about a timely topic around growing fruit and vegetable crops in Minnesota. Usually we talk about pests, but sometimes we venture into other important issues of the moment. This week, we're interviewing Dr. Amaya Atucha of University of Wisconsin-Madison about dealing with bud injury to fruit trees and what fruit growers should do after this tough winter. I'm Annie Claude, and you're listening to Season 2, Episode 1 of What's Killing My Kale. Hi, Amaya. This is Annie Claude at University of Minnesota. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me in the podcast. Of course. Now, you have a very long title, and you wear a lot of different hats, it sounds like. So your title is Assistant Professor of Horticulture, Fruit Crop Extension Specialist, and the Goat's Chalk Chair for Cranberry Research. Yes, that is a very long title. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> my, my, the reason why I have so many different titles is because my position here at UW-Madison, uh, I have multiple responsibilities, all of them within uh, fruit crop production, but uh, I'm an assistant professor in farming horticulture, but I'm also the state uh, fruit crop specialist. So I, I basically uh, have a responsibility with all the uh, fruit crops that are grown in the state of Wisconsin. And obviously, cranberry is the top fruit crop in Wisconsin, and, and part of that um, title of the chair position is, is because of the research that I do in cranberries. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of fruits, because um, so in Wisconsin, you guys grow a lot of the same fruits we do in Minnesota, but a few more as well. We don't really have cranberry production. Um, I know of one cranberry farm in Minnesota, but that's about it. And then uh, you have some zone five areas in your state that we don't have in Minnesota, so you've got a big job there. Yeah, there's a lot of fruit crops. It keeps it interesting for sure. Yeah, definitely. So you're a good person to talk to about the topic I wanted to discuss today, which is freeze damage on buds and what can happen to fruit trees in the spring. Since you have so much experience with all these different types of fruit trees, I wanted to talk to you. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about today specifically is bud damage and how late spring freezes can affect different types of fruit trees at different stages in bud development. So um, I was having a conversation with some farmers online on one of our listservs about a week and a half ago. It was April 26th, which was the day before uh, a lot of the weather stations were forecasting freezing temperatures the next night. And so I was sending an email out about what critical freeze temperatures are for buds. And there's some really good data, as you know, on uh, what different freeze temperatures can do to different fruit species, depending on what bud stage they're in. And somebody raised the question of, well, this information only lists the damage that can occur at a certain temperature if the fruit is exposed to that temperature for 30 minutes. And so the question was, what happens if the fruit or if the buds are exposed to that critical temperature for more than 30 minutes? So that kind of, you know, raised, uh, raised some eyebrows and that's what inspired me to talk to you about this today. Sure. So, this is a this is a very interesting question. I don't think a lot of people pay attention to that. So, yeah, uh, when you look at all of those um, extension publications and charts with information with the different phenological stages and the critical temperature, yeah, they always uh, you know have like a little note 
below all those pictures saying, you know, it's only 30 minutes of exposure. And the reason why it's 30 minutes of exposure is because probably the first person that decided to test them decided that 30 minutes was a pretty good time to observe any damage. There's really no reason why it's not 45 and it's not an hour. Uh, I, I think that what probably happened is that uh, when they started doing these kind of studies, uh, they figured out that if they want to test a pretty wide range of temperatures at the different phenological stages, it would take them very long to be able to mm -hmm. test all of them. And that with 30 minutes, they were able to see damage pretty fast. So that's the only reason why it's 30 minutes. And, you know, you think about it, well, why we don't, we can get in nights that we have frost, you know, sometimes like 45 minutes, two hours, and the temperature is not constant. So even, right. even if you think about a night when we have a frost, really, you know, you can have multiple 30 minutes at different temperatures. So what does that mean? Yes. Really, there's no straight answer for that. What I can tell you is that if you see the critical temperature between, you know, X degrees Fahrenheit for 30 minutes, if you extend the exposure to that same temperature for longer, you're probably going to see more damage than only 30 minutes of exposure. However, it's not going to be additive to the point that if you have them for 24 hours, you're going to have full damage. It's going to get to a point in which probably the material is going to be able to acclimate to the temperature in which you are uh, exposing them and the damage is going to, you know, kind of plateau. Okay. So I guess maybe we should back up just a little bit for anybody listening who's not familiar with critical temperatures or uh, bud development stages. So what we're talking about here is basically a table of information. Um, this is a fact sheet called critical temperatures for frost damage on fruit trees. And I have the table open right now. What this table shows is several different types of fruit trees, but the first one listed is apple. And so it shows all the different stages of bud development in apple, which silver tip, green tip, half inch green, tight cluster, etc. And what it shows is that um, at, at each bud development stage, there's a different critical temperature, freeze temperature below 32 degrees, at which 10% of the buds will be damaged at that temperature if they're at a certain stage. And then another temperature uh, that will cause 90%. Uh, bud damage at that certain bud stage. So for example, I'm looking at the apple part right now and it says um, if an apple tree is a tight cluster, which is where some of our trees are in Minnesota right now, if the temperature gets down to 27 degrees for 30 minutes, it'll cause about 10% bud injury on a tight cluster bud. If it gets down to 21 degrees, we can expect 90% bud damage. So then I guess the question would be, um, or one question at least is, all right, so we know that's the critical temperature for a tight cluster, but what if it gets down, let's say uh, 29 degrees, but instead of just for half an hour, it's 29 degrees for five hours? Do you, we might, you might see some damage. You might see more damage than, than what you would expect. Okay. So the extent of the temperature that you're exposing the, the, the plant material to, it's also important. It's not only the, the, the temperature by itself. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of other things that are affecting this process. This is a process that 
It's basically the plant, as it's sensing these changes in temperature, is kind of adapting at the same time. So when you have, and this is where things tend to get a little bit more complicated, and we introduce uh, terms like you know the, the the slope of drop in the temperature, and it's very much related with uh, relative humidity or the dew point. So the drier the atmosphere is, the faster temperatures are going to drop. And so the faster the temperature drops, the less amount of time the plant has to adjust within the limitations, of course, of the system to that cold temperature. So if you might have 29 and you might expect not a lot of damage, but just happens that that 29 or 28 degrees, it drops really fast from non-freezing temperatures to 29, you might see more damage. You can also have a wind effect, which will also increase the amount of damage that you're going to have. Okay, so during that time that the temperature is dropping, uh, as we get further into the night, the plant is actually acclimating to that temperature. Yes. All right. So what we're hoping for then, um, we're talking to growers about this, is that we have maybe more humid conditions before a cold event? So the, the higher the relative humidity or the higher the, the dew point is going to happen, uh, it means that once we reach that dew point, the temperature sort of going to stabilize for a little bit and it gives the growers sometimes some some extra time to be able to either turn in the wind machines, if they have wind machines, if they have overhead irrigation that they're going to use, it's going to help them also because there's going to be a buffer time when that dew point is achieved in which okay. the temperatures are not going to keep dropping at a really fast rate. So it's a very complicated concept. And, and what, I, what I tell the growers is that those are just guidelines. And the growers need to understand that a lot of those guidelines have been developed in a lab setting in which we try to control all of these other variables that are happening in a normal setting in the orchard at night or in the vineyard at night because we're trying to measure only one variable that is changing and in this case is the temperature. So it's not exactly, exactly, exactly working that way in a frost night in an orchard, but it's a guideline to you know, tell the growers and, and to give some information to the growers of when they should start protecting if they have the possibility of protecting. It's not a guideline to predict how much damage you're gonna get. Right, right. Yeah, so um, just back to your point about research. So uh, if I understand correctly, in those studies, they are trying to minimize any variation in any other factor so that they can really get to how much that temperature is affecting bud injury, correct? Yeah, so usually yeah. what we would do to, to get this type of information is you would go to the field and sample, let's say, tight clusters. We would put those tight clusters in uh, glass tubes into uh, a freezer and start dropping the temperature. And when the temperature, for example, let's say hits uh, 29, we would remove a portion of our samples and then wait for the damage to express and look how much damage we have. So in that case, the only thing we're changing, the only variable is temperature. We're not adding relative humidity. We're not adding wind. We're not adding any of the other things that might be happening on a night in the orchard. Okay. And do you know of any studies that have tried to add in those variables and see what happens? It's very difficult in a, in a, in a lab setting. Uh, we do know that wind, uh, produces desiccation and exacerbates a little bit of the damage. So, so 
trying to have a, a, a freeze chamber in which in addition you can put wind and be able to modify the amount of wind that you have, it's very difficult. Okay. So let's try to put this into context of uh, what's going on this year. So today when we're talking, it's Monday, May 6, 2019. And uh, temperatures where I am are in the 50s today. Um, it's a pretty sunny day. It's pretty nice. We have rain forecasted for Thursday and Friday this week, but it shouldn't get down below freezing in the southern half of Minnesota, as far as I know. Um, and what's the, what's the weather look like where you are, and what are you expecting as far as the risk of freeze damage on buds at this point in time? Yeah, we are very similar. We have also uh, nice weather, if you can call rainy weather, nice weather, but at least it's not cold. We have quite a bit of rain this week. I think that next week uh, we're going to get much better weather, but sunnier. Uh, one of the things that we've been seeing here is that after that event that we had uh, the night of, I think it was April 27, it was yes. Saturday, um, it has been relatively cool, so in the 40s and 50s, so things have not been moving a lot, and so there's a little bit of concern that uh, there was quite a bit of damage, but I want to be optimistic, and I think the reason why we're not seeing a lot of activity is just because it has been so cool, and maybe next week, when temperatures get a little bit higher in the upper 60s, mid 70s, we're going to start seeing those buds start to developing a little bit more, and maybe those um, clusters uh, to start opening and we'll be able to really assess how much damage we, we, we got from that. I have to say that in addition to that, it might be possible that some of the damage that we will see is the result of the winter and the fall part yes. here. That, you know, unfortunately is on top of this event. Um, so we're expecting to see some damage due to the really, really harsh winter that we had. Right, right. And um, maybe we should talk about that too, because uh, in, you know, I'll put out this episode this week, but then growers might listen to it in a few days once our buds have moved along more. So the next thing they're going to want to be doing after the trees leaf out is to assess winter damage. And would you mind just talking a little bit about how to assess winter damage and what that looks like on a fruit tree? Well, it will depend on when the damage is happening, and that's why it's important. Um, if you have damage in midwinter, especially when we're talking about uh, damage to flower buds, what you will probably see if the damage is only happening in midwinter is that those buds are basically just not going to break. So they'll just stay, will they stay in um, silver tip, which is the first bud stage, or will they stay in maybe tight cluster? They, they, or they may stay just like dormant buds and never break. Totally dormant buds, yep. That, that, is, that could be uh, some damage for sure. You can see that uh, not only on the apples, but on the grapes, you'll see the same thing, especially on the grapes. Yep. They won't fall, you won't see anything, no activity. Then you can have damage uh, afterwards when you actually do see that the buds are starting to swell, they're starting to, you can see already the green tips, and then you get you know, something similar to the event that we had on April 27. And in that case, you will actually, when you dissect, the bud, if you were to cut it, or if you were to open those uh, tight clusters and look inside, if, the, if inside it's brown, what basically means is that at some point during this frost event, there was ice forming in that tissue. And what happens with ice is that once ice forms, those crystals of ice, they rupture the tissue and the inside contact, all the water content inside the cells leaks out and then 
that produces that brown tissue, which is basically dead tissue that is not going to recover. So that's what you would see when you have a spring frost. You would see that really uh, watery, like soaking brown tissue, and that's the effect of a frost damage on tissues that were actively growing. Other type of effect that you might see is that uh, it's damaged maybe to other structures of the tree or the vines, for example, the roots or the trunk. In that case, you might actually see that the trees and the vines start breaking and growing and you actually may even have fruit set. And during the summer, the vine or the, or the tree collapses. As soon as you start having a little bit more foliage, and the demand for water, because it's transpiration and you need to move water from the root systems, uh, it's really high. The plant is not able to move that water because the roots are damaged or maybe the trunks are damaged and that's why the plant collapsed. And that's also cold damage. I'm glad you brought that one up because uh, that's something that we saw a fair amount in Minnesota last year. Uh, it was very common that I got questions from people and what they would say when they called is my trees, uh, my apple trees specifically, they leafed out and they looked fine. And then all of a sudden, a few weeks later, all of the leaves on part of the tree just wilted. That's what you're describing there um, is an effect of winter damage on the interior parts of the tree. Yeah. And the winter damage is also, it's not a one-time event. It's also cumulative. So you might be having, you know, every single winter, a little bit of damage, a little bit of damage. And this is like, you know, this pipe system. You have like, you know, if you have 10 different pipes that are moving all this water from the soil into the leaves so that the plant can transpire and control the temperature. If you have, you know, out of the 10, five of them are damaged and blocked. Well, you only have half of the pipes really working and bringing all this water that the plant needs. And then maybe next year you have another one and then you start losing this ability of the plant to move uh, water and that's when the tree collapses, especially when you have a heavy crop because that means that also there's more need of, of, of moving higher volumes of water through the vascular system. Right, right. So um, we've been talking about fruit trees um, mainly, you know, a lot of the fruit growers in Minnesota are growing apples and grapes. Those are our two main uh, fruit crops in the state. So what should apple growers be thinking about right now? Well, one of the things that uh, they could do uh, in anticipation to trees that might be coming out from this winter with a lot of stress is uh, one recommendation could be some uh, pre-bloom nutrition. I'm thinking about, you know, maybe some foliar applications of urea, maybe some foliar applications of zinc and borum. There were some studies um, made in uh, a New York state that showed that trees that might have a little bit of cold damage would benefit from this extra kind of help through foliar applications, pre-bloom of some nutrients. I could also help, you know, provide some of these nutrients to the fruit as it starts developing to get a better crop. So okay. that's one thing that, that the growers could start doing. Uh, unfortunately, there's, we don't have a lot of um, tools to be able to overcome some of this damage rather than you know, pruning some of the material that, is, that, is, um, that has damage in the winter pruning, making sure that uh, your trees are not stressed, not overcropped, anything that is stressing these trees, especially new trees, Trees that we ask so much from them, they are on dwarfing rootstocks. We you know, heavily crop them. 
we do all this management and then we have this brutal winters. So anything that could uh, stress those trees is going to predispose them to potential more damage. So irrigation management, really important to have those trees well irrigated during the growing season. Try to keep our foliage as healthy as possible as well. Uh, controlling disease and pests so that we have good levels of uh, carbohydrate production for reserves that would help them uh, overcome some of the damage and probably protect them for more damage in the future winters. Because unfortunately, this is going to be something that we're going to see more and more often at uh, these very extreme temperatures during the winter. Right. And the unpredictability of it too. Yes. So growers yep. always have to be prepared for the possibility that we can have a really up and down and cold winter like this. So uh, fruit thinning as well, would you recommend um, growers consider fruit thinning? Absolutely. I mean, fruit thinning is a must. Uh, you need to, not only from, from you know, an economical point of view, I don't think that you can really achieve a, a, a proper um, fruit size and, and good quality fruit if you don't do a, a good thinning. Even in this year, if you see lower count of blossoms, we have to remember that you only need about you know, maybe like 20% of all the blossoms to, to set to be able to have a full crop. So one of the things that I was telling some of the growers here in Wisconsin is that even if you see that you have less blossoms in the tree, uh, don't panic because you only need about 20% of them to set fruit. So you will still need to thin. So don't forget about thinning. Maybe Maybe something that you might not want to do is bloom thinning or thinning really early on because there's, there's this unknown of how the tree is going to come out uh, right. from this winter. But definitely don't, don't think that because you might have damage, you're not going to have to thin. All right. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you brought this up because I think that's something that might be counterintuitive, um, especially maybe to some beginning growers. But, you know, the goal is don't stress the tree out too much um, after a year like that and really support tree health. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, as far as zinc, boron, and urea that you talked about, real quick, uh, is there a resource where growers can look to find out uh, application rates for that? Yeah, we have a um, newsletter here that we put together, the fruit team at UW-Madison. Uh, you can access this through our website. It's uh, fruit.wisc.edu. Uh, and I uh, wrote an article, I think a couple of weeks ago, about some uh, pre-blossom, uh, pre-bloom foliar applications uh, that, that is applicable for this case. Okay, great. So again, that URL for anybody who missed it is fruit.wisc.edu. That's wisc spelled W-I-S-C dot E-D-U. Uh, and and there's, there's plenty of information. I mean, there's, there's really big other programs that do quite a bit of research on apple production. So if you, you probably go to Cornell website, if you go to Washington State, they, I'm sure they have plenty of resources as well. Absolutely. Another one that I have been participating in this season is Apple Talk. So yeah, yeah you must know of Apple Talk. It's, um, I think it's based out of Wisconsin. Uh, so that is a weekly conference call every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Um, where we get on and uh, a couple of a Apple experts discuss what is going on that week and what growers should be preparing for that week. So, you know, some of the topics we've been talking about today, but they go even more in depth on those. And uh, the website for that is ecofruit.wisc.edu slash Apple Talk. 
And I like that one a lot. Yeah, that's a, that's yet another great resource uh, that, is, as I said, I think it's every Tuesday morning. Um, there's plenty of information there and, you know, girls can participate there as well. Yeah. So um, let's see, is there anything else we wanted to talk about today? I think we talked about a lot of the really interesting things that I wanted to discuss. And I think all this is going to be really helpful to uh, growers as we go into the season. Um, let's see, is there anything else that you wanted to discuss before we get off the phone? I, I, I just want to bring up again the, the, this point of like, we always would like to predict what's going to happen. We're always trying to find, you know, information about, you know, how much is the damage going to be and, you know, how can I know in advance? Unfortunately, in the case of cold damage, as I said, it's very difficult to really uh, be able to predict before we have an event like this, what is going to be the consequence? Because as I said, there's so many variables that could influence the amount of damage that uh, your trees can experience. And that, uh, that, you know, as much as people are always asking us, but w what is this going to translate or how much we're going to lose of our yield? Unfortunately, it's something that we really cannot predict. And this kind of information, it's, it's just, you know, some reference for growers to be able to um, maybe, you know, think about some, management uh, in the case of, 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 you know, having a lot of damage or anticipate that they might potentially have some damage. We talk about, uh, and I think that in Apple talk, they also talk about uh, promelin. I want to bring that up. I don't know if uh, the Minnesota growers are, it's, a, it's, it's something that they're using a lot, but uh, I've heard, and I know from research that's been uh, done on, on other universities, the use of promelin when we have a frost during bloom and I just want to point out, uh, in case some of the growers were thinking about applying promelin, in early stages where before bloom, before we have open flowers. So what promelin does is that promelin is basically mimics the um, hormones that will be produced by, by uh, a fertilized egg or the beginning of the formation of the seeds, the embryo, and that stimulates the formation of the fruit, the apple fruit. So if you don't have open flowers, uh, the, the promelin really doesn't have any effect. So I just want to point that out, that the effect of the promelin after a frost, uh, the research has been done and, and the understanding of how it works is that you have to have open flowers. Okay. You have to have open flowers in order for it to be effective. Yes. Correct. Okay. Good to know. All right. Well, thanks. Maybe in another episode, we can talk about cranberries. And uh, I've always wanted to ask the question of why there are so many cranberries grown in Wisconsin and almost none in Minnesota. I've always found that really interesting. But hey, we can leave that for another day. <laughs> that sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much, Amaya, for uh, talking to us today and being on our podcast. Really appreciate it, and I hope that growers get a lot of value out of this episode. I think they will. My pleasure, and I, and I wish everybody a really, really good growing season. Thank you. All right, we'll talk to you later. Bye.